And this is where Don and Sue go out for a pleasant evening. Hello everyone, this is LuchaPod, my name is Darcy Stone and I am joined with the somewhat missed Costa K. Why only somewhat? Because it's still not been long enough for me to miss you fully. Oh, um, well, I don't think I've ever missed you ever, so go fuck yourself. Fair, right, okay. Yeah. So We're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to Luchapod on, uh, in the end of October. Yeah, yeah, it's been another wow. month. How have we gone this far? I don't feel like this year's existed yet. It's been the longest year of my entire life. And I've yeah. had a long life. This year has been pretty much a write-off in most aspects. Um, the only thing I can kind of think of that has been, I suppose, a nice part for me is, you know, doing this podcast. I've rather enjoyed that. Um, yeah. When the year's not over yet, we've still got a couple of months. We've still got Halloween, um, which when this comes out, uh, this comes out on Friday. So Halloween will be, what, the next day, I think. I think Halloween's Saturday. Are you going to wear your um, cowboy costume? I don't own a cowboy costume. Did we have a conversation before when we were um, talking about Texas being our one of our biggest listeners, and you said that you had a cowboy costume? Or did I invent that? I don't. I don't have a cowboy. Costume. Well, you, you know what? You should get one, and then I, that's your costume. I used to have a sheriff Woody costume when I was oh, a child. That's better. That's yeah, even my, better. My mum dressed me and my sister up as uh, Woody and Jesse uh, for a New Year's Eve costume party uh, once. I mean, you're scary enough looking without the costume, so you'll be fine. Mm, says you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, now that we've uh, we've plenty insulted each other already, um, what's uh, what's coming up on this week's show? We have the. Uh, how do I even describe him? He's the probably the most entertaining person on London Lucha League for me, and that is the um, the very eloquent, the very rich uh, Tarquin. Yeah, Tarqueezy, my boy. Um, big Tarks. Big Tarqueezy, as I'm now calling him. Not to his face, because I feel like he'd chew me chew me head off if I did. <laughs> but uh, Tarqueezy is a is a solid nickname, I think. Why is he called Tarqueezy for you? Because watching his matches makes me feel Tarqueezy. <laughs> Oh dear, no, uh, we only, I only mock because I love. No, he's wonderful and uh, we've got a really good chat coming up with him. But before we get to that, seeing as though there is literally F all else going on that I'm interested in talking about with the always uninteresting Darcy Stone. I dare you, I have news, but you know, we'll save it because I probably won't have news next time, so... Yeah, save it for next time because the people don't want to hear from you. They want to hear <laughs> what is easily so far the most anticipated episode of the Culture Exchange to date. So we are going to send it over to myself talking with the Progress Wrestling Champion himself, Kara Noir, a.k.a. Tom Dawkins, as he discusses, breaks down and analyzes what can only be described as one of the most legendary matches in the history of professional wrestling, and that is War Games from the year 2000, an episode of Monday Nitro featuring 
former WCW champion himself, Vince Russo. So take it away to the Culture Exchange. The year is 2000. It is WCW, and unlike the last one, this is not a big build-up to a pay-per-view. This is a random episode of WCW Nitro, run by then, I guess, head writer of WCW. I, I don't know what the specific title is, and I'm sure if ever well, he hears this, he'll probably, he'll probably have a moan if ever he hears this, but fuck it. Uh, Vince Russo was uh, is you know in charge of creative, I guess, at the time. And... This match is known as Russo's Revenge. Now, I would love to be able to sit here and give you a bit of a spiel about who was in this match, uh, what the build was. But honestly, I don't know. Uh, I watched it back the other day, and I'm going to let you take the reins here in a second and let us know what you thought. But I just just to give a quick, just, just to yeah, give a quick on. thing on what I was thinking here. About two minutes into this match, I genuinely had no clue who was on whose team who was in the match and who wasn't in the match what the actual rules of this version of the match were i it was so overbooked and you know what i i enjoy listening to 83 weeks which is eric bischoff's podcast and he always says and i completely agree with this gimmick matches are okay when done right but the problem that comes when you add gimmicks on top of gimmicks. And that is something that like Vince Russo has kind of always done in his booking style in that it's not enough to have a war games match. We need to, like, we need to add to it. So from like, just a very, very quick summary of what I think the rules of this match were. So they took the concept of the war games match and they adjusted it for the movie ready to rumble, which if you want to check that out, by all means, it's hilariously awful. Yeah. That was Um, my first note. Is that the cage from that film? Yeah. So it came from the movie ready to rumble. And then they decided, well, we built this cage now. We might as well use it for real. So now we spent a ridiculous amount of money on it. And they thought they have to use it multiple times just to kind of get their money's worth. Yeah, and, and to be fair, my, my one real good point on the whole thing is it is a sight to behold. It looks amazing. It does, that You look at it, honestly, I looked at it and thought, fucking hell, that does look cool. But then logic kicks in. Do you, like, well, how do you, did you look at that cage and go, that's cool? I look at that cage and go, what is the point? It is yeah, a cage yeah, but, uh, on a cage on a cage. What it, what, like... What yeah, but is from a sheer happens? from a sheer spectacle side, if you're like take your mind out of you know I'm a wrestler point of view, take put your mind into the point of you know a young child right. You flicked on WCW, all you see is three giant cages. You're not gonna think, ah, oh, that's a horrible bump, or ah, oh, that you know that doesn't make any sense. You're just gonna think, what the fuck is that? That's crazy. Like you're gonna watch. So it's it's a sight to behold. That's my one good ish point and it's not even that good it's just me you know being nice but anyway so the rules of this are same as normal war games intervals for teams to come in um and but the difference is on this one is instead of it being the double cage with two rings it's one ring with a triple cage but they're stacked on top of each other and the aim is to climb up to the top cage while you're inside the cages (laughs) Climb to the very top of the third cage, pull the belt down like a ladder match, 
But then it's not over yet. You've got to climb all the way back down and walk out the front door with it. Tom, what were your <laughs> thoughts on this match? <laughs> well, firstly, I'm glad that you explained the rules because like yourself, I had no clue what was going on. I didn't know who was on whose side. I didn't understand what 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 was meant to happen i didn't realize they had to go to the top of the cage and come back down i just was like oh my god it's that cage from that film what 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 is this i thought it was a war games match this is not what i thought it was going to be um and on a side note like yeah i might i'm gonna might go into some vince russo bashing but i met vince russo and he was very lovely to me at the time when i was first starting out um but yeah, I'm probably going to rant, so I apologise in advance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did he not say that you were, and I quote, a Vince Russo guy? Uh, yeah, it was the time when um, <laughs> Paul Heyman guys were a thing, and I got introduced. I was my first IPW match uh, when I was Black Belt Tom Dawkins as a Vince Russo guy. Brilliant. <laughs> So, anyway, let's talk about this match. So, the first two that entered was Sting versus Jeff Jarrett. And I timed this because I screamed at the uh, at my screen uh, when this happened. They were in the ring for a maximum of 10 seconds before they went to the floor. And I realized that that set the tone for the rest of this match. You shortcuts. So many shortcuts. You lazy buggers. Um... And I've put, so I'm just going to document this as in like my experience and things that I wrote down throughout the match and watching this one match. So I've got in a, um, so that was my first thoughts on it, that the fact that they were 10 seconds before they got to the floor and then followed up by what are the rules? Is it everyone versus everyone? Because I wasn't sure. They never said that, you know, because Scott Steiner comes out next with this ridiculous face mask on. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about the face mask. Face mask. I don't know oh. why. No, no one mentions it or why he's got it on. Uh, maybe he's just had a nose job or he's broken his nose. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, like, the, I wasn't sure whose side he was on, you know. Um, like, I, I didn't know. And it wasn't until they started getting into it. I was like, okay, I, I think. Yeah, okay, so he's on jet with it. Okay, so he's with Jeff Jarrett. That makes a bit more sense. Um, uh, and then underneath that, that point, I've got, this doesn't make any sense. What are the rules? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I literally have, like, so I made a few notes so I could remember bits of this as well. And I actually pretty much wrote the same thing. What the fuck is going on? What like Because at one point, uh, who is it? Uh, okay, so I first I popped. Chronic are in this match. Oh, no, 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 don't jump, don't jump ahead. We'll get to Chronic. Oh, okay. So okay. let me keep going. No, okay. no, no. We'll come to we'll come to that. So before we get to Chronic, um, who uh, yeah, anyway, so at one point, this is during Scott Steiner's big shine, he um well, he does very little, and then he runs off and hits the ropes at quite a, a good speed to do a stomp. Uh, at that moment, I paused and had to leave the room. So I, you know, I, t I took about a minute to kind of recover. Next out was what I labelled the Muscly Hardies because they weren't announced. I didn't know who, who, what, who these people were. They were screaming like, "Oh my God! It's the them as a tag team." I didn't realise whether they were individuals or whether they were both in it together. And it wasn't until about halfway through, I dawned on me, 
Oh, okay. So they, I didn't even realize there were the baby faces at this point. So during there, you know, I had just literally had no idea. And that was, that was chronic. Um, during the entrance and the commentary team doing a bad job of not announcing them, S- Scott Steiner, during the entrance, climbed up to the next level of cages, which I thought was very smart. Because, of course, because these the hardy, the muscly hardy boys were just strolling to the ring with no sense of urgency, no worry that, they, that Scott Steiner was going to get the belt. You know, because that wasn't booked that way. They just walked down <laughs> the ring. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah. And at that point, uh, before they even got to the ring, uh, I stopped watching for five days. So, but, <laughs> so, so hang on. So hang on. Let me dissect that slightly. So Chronic, for I, I don't think you even know this, but did you know Chronic both had... Um, minor successful spells in the WWE and I, I guarantee you'll you'll know who both of them are when I tell you. Go on then. So Brian Adams was crush in WWE. Fuck off. Yep. That and was crush. That was crush. And Brian Clark was Adam Bomb, if you remember Adam Bomb. No! That was who they, they were. They didn't look anything <laughs> like that. So the muscly hardies were cr- were Crush and Adam Bomb. <laughs> I didn't realise that's who they were. Oh my god! What? They didn't look anything like. Oh, no, I know, I know. But uh, hang you, on. When you say Crush, you mean Kona Crush, kind of thing. Uh, the yeah. the Hawaiian character that no, Crush. No, Crush is in uh, Demolition. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but just to just to take to your point there, so they came out together as a tag team, which confused the fuck out of me, right? Because it's meant to be Yes, exactly. Why are they coming out person. as a tag team? But okay, so here's my point on it. There's no and DQ. They were, called chronic. No... they were they were called by one name, like as if yeah, they no weren't individuals. <laughs> they were just like, you know, it it's like saying, I don't know, the Dudley boys, and that's the only name they have. They don't have individual identities. And the problem for me was, I get it that it's no DQ, and they've just gone, well, fuck it, we'll come out together. Cool, okay, I can maybe get my head around that. What I can't get my head around, though, is they've done that, and no one else from the back just thought, oh, well, fuck it, there's no rules, let's just let's just come out. And but if we all come out. Like, yeah, exactly, if there's no rule, like, the rules are there for a reason, and I sound like a little bitch saying that, but the rules... <laughs> are important in wrestling and without the rules it's just unorganized chaos and that's what this match became um but anyway carry on with <laughs> so five days later I, my first note <laughs> I've, never, hang on, I've never known anyone to watch a match and have to pause the, the same not even like a show like the same match have to pause it halfway through not because it was quite long but just because it stressed you out and came back to it five days later i've never heard of that <laughs> so i couldn't bear to watch it so five days later yeah uh i the first note i wrote chronic question marks i guess that's their tag name and they don't have any individual identities so they slowly when i say slowly they slowly made their way to the second level that's when (laughs) vince russo came out with the uh the harris brothers Mm -hmm. if i'm correct yeah um 
So Vince Russo walks into the room, uh, the ring, leaving the Harris brothers on the outside with a baseball bat. As soon as he enters, bear in mind that's his weapon, he puts the baseball bat down gently in the corner and then gets in the other side of the ring. Why? Why did he put his the weapon down to then get in the ring with Sting? What an idiot. I pause this again for another 10 minutes. Hey, well, you like you know what? Let me let me just tell you, put it to you like this in in ways that because I feel I feel it's going to it's going to start getting bad with the Russo bashing now because now he's in the match. So, let me just let me just say you know what, bro? You know what, bro? What you don't understand, bro, is that Vince Russo didn't kill WCW. Time Warner <laughs> did, bro. Okay, so you had to get your, got got your impression in. So yeah, it might it might pop back in at some point if we keep really so batching too much. So that 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 okay. So coming back after five minutes of a break, uh, ten minutes of a break. Sorry, uh, the Harris brothers climb the outside of the cage because apparently there's no rules, uh, and then start fighting Chronic in the second level. So the Harris brothers come in and do this kind of walk and brawl with with, and they're hitting each other with some gimmicks that just so happen to be in the second cage, and then later at the match they just randomly disappear. Mm. They just disappeared. I didn't know where they went, where they where they were gone. I couldn't even tell you the point that they just disappeared. They were just no longer there. And I had no idea at this point what was going on, whether it was teams, whether the Harris brothers were meant to be part of it, because you just had a tag team come out. Why not have a trio come out? You know, I didn't have a clue where we were. So, so as, as well, on, and, and going back to the rules thing as well. So... I remember hearing on commentary, one of the commentators said that at any point during the match, from, from even from the beginning, you can climb up to the top level, pull down the belt and walk out and you would be the WCW champion. So to that point, if Chronic came out together, ignoring the rules... And you, you're backstage, like Goldberg, who comes out later, right? If I'm Goldberg, I'm watching, I'm not going to sit there and watch because... Well, these other guys pull the belt down. Yeah, these other and that's guys the problem with before putting I a, even come out. Exactly, that's the problem with putting a belt on in a war games match because aren't you meant to work together? But the championship isn't is individual. Can only one person can win this belt. So why would everyone be on each other's side? It didn't make any sense. So I went and had a coffee after after that whole thing. And then came back because I just needed to stay awake because now I realize that I just need to get through this. Right. So Sting uh, puts uh, Sting puts Russo in the Scorpio desk lock. And I noticed at this point that handcuffs fell out of his pocket. And I was like, well, well, this is obvious. He's going to just start handcuffing people to things now. And that's the that's the way that they're going to get the advantage. Right. Mm -hmm. So they kind of kind of blew that spot. And then. As as that's all going on in the middle of the ring, Kevin Nash comes out. Now the match is definitely going to speed up, I thought. <laughs> oh, right, hang on now, hang on. This is when you and I have different... I know we're going to clash on opinions here because my notes... Hang on, let me, let me pull this up a second here. Let me... <laughs> so what I wrote about Kevin Nash, I guarantee you will be so different to what you wrote. You wrote, that's when the match will speed up sarcastically. I wrote... <laughs> <laughs> Nash is an absolute fucking hero. 
<laughs> he walks in. He walks in. And bearing in mind, he's probably the most highly paid person in this whole match. Yeah. He walked in and stood at the door for the whole match and then just walked out of the door with the belt. Got involved in a couple of very minor bits. Didn't take... I don't think he took a single fucking move or a bump. Oh, no, no, he does. He does. Oh, he does? Okay, cool, cool. We'll get to that. Yeah, so... Yeah, so... um, He literally does nothing, as I said. Yeah, he stands there and does very little. Next then is Booker T. And then everyone bumps for Booker T. He gives them all an axe kick, except, of course, Kevin Nash. <laughs> Leave Kevin so who's alone. not taken a bump yet, um, is barely sweaty and has pretty much stood or hung around near the door. Right. The next person out, the last person out was Goldberg. Right. He comes in. You're expecting this big house of fire. He's the mega baby face. Right. That's how he's booked in WCW as this killer. And what he does was a few punches and kicks, a double clothesline, gets hit with a baseball bat, and then gets handcuffed to the ropes. Can I that is as well, Goldberg got... done for the foreseeable future. Goldberg is was booked as the biggest killer in pro wrestling for years. And he's, I, I understand it's a baseball bat, but he sold for Vince Russo. <laughs> That that will live in my mind forever. I get it. He hit him with a baseball bat, but it's still Vince Russo. Yeah, at least he sold the baseball bat. I'll get back to something selling later. But he he at least sold that baseball bat, which he which he mm, has problems with selling moves. Um, so um, so at this time, I decided to take a walk around the block because I'd got to the point um, when they. T- uh, handcuffed him i was like I, I can't deal with this i'm gonna go pop out for a moment and get a breath because i was getting more and more upset uh and then i came back and sat down and it was still paused on goldberg um handcuffed and i was like i need another two minutes and went <laughs> and went and got on with a few extra tasks before i came back so now this is where it's starting to get exciting, apparently. So everyone climbs uh, to the second level, except Kevin Nash, because he is the smartest man in the match and the entire business. He just stood there while everyone else did all of the work. Okay, so the first person that makes it to the top is Booker T. And throughout this whole time where everyone's climbing and they're working their ass off, beating each other up with kendo sticks and bins. Um, Tony for Shivani, the whole time is saying Kevin Nash is the smartest man in sports entertainment. And I a hundred percent agree. He is a genius. He is because a genius. He stood there and did nothing. And people were like, yep, that's so smart because it was smart. There's no reason for him to climb. He's the enforcer down the bottom. It does make perfect sense, but you know that he booked that by telling them that that was so he didn't have to do anything. He is the smartest man in wrestling in both kayfabe and out of kayfabe because in kayfabe it makes sense because why would you go to all that trouble to climb all the way up when you know they've got to come past you anyway? Exactly. It makes perfect sense. But then then I was thinking there's the rule so could you just go down the outside rather than the inside? To be fair, the one thing they did say over and over again which, but to be fair, is irrelevant because they broke every other rule anyway. But the one rule that they did really stress was you have to walk out of the door to win the title. Oh, 
So that was the one thing. But like, but then out of kayfabe though, he's a genius as well because he didn't have to fucking do anything. He just got, he got a great payday, I assume, to just stand there and wait to take the belt. Yeah. <laughs> so Booker T gets the belt, heads down the cage. I realized at this point, I was like, why is Sting just randomly standing there? And he's been, he's <laughs> <laughs> been handcuffed, standing even, awkwardly even next the to the door. Even the commentators didn't realize. Even they just went, what's Sting? Just let him go past. And then they pause it. Oh my God, he's handcuffed too. <laughs> it's yeah, like, oh, sake. You can see the frustration <laughs> on Sting's face with this entire booking and this entire match because he one-handedly picks up this... Um, trash can and just throws it at Scott Steiner who doesn't sell it because why sell moves why sell objects what's the point what's the point of wrestling um so Booker T, <laughs> Booker T fights on the second and gets taken over and then drops the belt from the second level to the first level and that's where Russo picks it up now I couldn't remember who won this match and I was like oh is this where Russo wins oh god Oh, God. So he picks the belt up, poses in the middle of the ring, and who comes down? Their number one baby face to save the day. It's not Goldberg. No, it's Ernest the Cat Miller, <laughs> who then does a roundhouse kick to Russo, who, bear in mind, is wearing a helmet, a hockey helmet, and he sells it like he's been knocked out. <laughs> Ernest the Cat Miller. In the head. And he was wearing a helmet, but yet he sells it. Yes, the impact might knock someone down, but it's not going to knock you out. Like, it, there are literally no rules in this match. And do you know why Ernest the Cat Miller is there? Why? So Kevin Nash could walk in and give him a jackknife, which I still think is the ugliest looking powerbomb in the world. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. So. <laughs> we're on Ernest the Cat Miller that's that's the bar uh, so okay I don't even know where to like where to carry on from now but I just keep going I've got... no no hang on hang on hang on <laughs> hang on hang on we'll be here all day I mean we could this is highly entertaining stuff and we could I could quite happily do this all day I might have to um, cut it down <laughs> uh, yeah I might have to um so my <laughs> my last note that I wrote on this match was I don't know what I just saw but I know it wasn't good. <laughs> that was literally all I put. And then for, throughout all of this as well, like like you, like I didn't I didn't enjoy this match. It's a terrible match. There's there's tiny moments of not brilliance but just en silly like entertaining parts like Kevin Nash just being a fucking genius uh, and just standing at the door. <laughs> I thought that's gold. Um but like it's okay, so it's one of the things where for years and years and years, and bear in mind this is twenty years ago now. At this point, it's two decades. For years, Vince Russo has been chastised and buried by pretty much everybody, and he's been called some of the most horrible names under the sun, which I don't condone because at the end of the day. It, it, He's just, you know, he's doing his job. He's not doing it very well, but he's just doing. He's just a guy doing his job. You wouldn't go up to someone at, you know, uh, working in an office and say you've done a terrible job. I hope you die. Like it's, it's so over the top the way some of these people are to him on social media and things. So I don't condone any of that. I think that's ridiculous. But it's 
it is a ter- <laughs> again, it's a terribly booked match, and it's just not good at all. And I, I honestly, I looked at the talent in this match. Like we we're talking about the talent in the first match, right? Yeah. With like Austin and Arn Anderson, and they're all fucking like huge names, and like we were so disappointed that it wasn't better. And this match is a little bit the same. Like you've got some really good talent in there. You've got Booker T. He's a great wrestler. Uh, Kevin Nash, okay, I know you're yeah, not a Booker fan. Booker T but Kevin... became a better wrestler like, oh, at that sure. point. I, uh, and then Goldberg was always, uh, uh, like, you know. Yeah, but, all right, but, but you've still got some decent names in there. Like, you've got Jeff Jarrett. You know, people can say what they want about Jeff Jarrett, but I've oh. always enjoyed Jeff Jarrett. Scott Steiner is, you know, he's good at what he does. I've always been a Scott Steiner fan. Uh, fucking uh, Sting's in there as well. You know, that's a, a legend. Yeah. And, all this, and like all of this... All this name value in there as well. Like, forgetting just the talent aside, the name value. So people were going to watch this match. And I honestly watched it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, did none of these people in this match think to just say, you know what? Let's not do that. <laughs> they <laughs> like, didn't care. At that point in, in, I think, WCW, they didn't care. It was a joke. It was, it was like, okay, so... Like even yeah they didn't they, it was yeah yeah they just we're didn't, only yeah. A, we're only a few months away but like at, at mm. this point in time for WCW they're only a few months away from going out of business yeah uh, Vince, exactly Vince I think it was out. just they're just coming in doing their jobs and leaving and I'd obviously I don't I can't speculate on that because I wasn't around at the time but that's the sense of feeling that you get looking at this sort of match it's a very desperate uh, desperate show as a whole but. Yeah, um, it's what but, I, I would call it car crash TV because it's just and, and it's the epitome of how Vince Russo tends to like you know, you can tell when Russo's kind of had his fingers in a match because it's very much like the way this was booked, where it's like just a lot of stuff happening, but you can't follow any of it and none of it really builds up to anything, it's just all. Bang, bang. There's there's just loads of noise, but no like action. It's like you know them fireworks you can get that just make a really loud noise, but there's no big bang. There's no big payoff yeah, at yeah. the end. It, it's like that. That's exactly how it is. And yeah, it's just not good. But no. that's my opinion. Tom Dawkins, however, let me, let me finish this off. Let me finish this review off. I didn't realize there was more. <laughs> yeah, of course. We, we've only got to the jackknife. Then, of course, what happens? <laughs> Why, why Nash picks up the belt, what happens? Goldberg breaks out the handcuffs because he's he's the man of steel all of a sudden and he's been sitting on his bum for the entirety of this whole, this whole match, done one double clothesline. Now he feels like he wants to wake up and do stuff, right? And Kevin Nash takes a bump from a big boot. And it's an actual bump, not a silly, like, I'm just going to fall over. He took a bump for Goldberg. And I was like, oh, well done. And all Goldberg does is clean the house and punch kicks. And then he picks up the belt, which is my favorite bit of the match. This is where I like nearly wet myself laughing. He picked up the belt, posed, and then dropped it. Yeah. Which I was like, sums this whole match up, right? He slowly walks over to the door about to leave, and this is my problem with um, Goldberg as a whole, Bret Hart, who's sneaky in the corner, slams the door on Goldberg's face, and Goldberg forgets to sell it almost. It's kind of like a delayed sell, 
Am I going to sell this? Am I not going to sell this? So this is like some camera notes that I've got from this. So the door slams, then it cuts. He doesn't sell it. It cuts to Bret Hart. So you never get the moment or the enjoyment from the TV perspective of Goldberg not selling it and getting angry. It cuts straight to uh, Bret Hart, who jumps the guardrail like a coward. Um, then it cuts back. And Goldberg's on the floor randomly. And then Scott Steiner bowls in with a baseball bat. And I was like, oh, I've missed all of that because they've been following Bret Hart, which was probably the least interesting bit. I want to see uh, the facial expressions of Goldberg and what, why he no-sold it, what he, you know, what happened in that moment. And all of a sudden we flick back and he's dead. And then less than a few minutes later, Russo gets the belt. And... I don't know whether he's going to leave or not. Nash grabs him. Bear in mind, he's been quite um, villainous towards, like, kind of, like, annoyed towards Russo, which doesn't make any sense because they're on the same team. He bursts into laughter, gives him a big hug. But they were on the same team. There was, what was, there was no problem to start with. It's this coming back to the first... Uh, war games this fake pretend are oh, they will they won't they it's like it, it it's 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 Ross and Rachel kind of thing will they get together or not you know that's what it felt like it was it was such a pretense and that level of bad acting is what makes wrestling look bad um they did this like evil laugh together they counted to three and then Nash walked through the um uh, yeah, Nash walks through the, um, the the door and wins. And I was like, yeah, you are... I, but my end note is, you are the cleverest man in wrestling. Because he's cleverer than I am. Because I go and do matches and literally murder myself each match and wrestle like it's the last one ever. Because I always want to put on a good performance and feel like I've physically done stuff. I don't like doing tag wrestling because I feel I've done half the amount of work. But Kevin Nash has a very different opinion on wrestling. You know, not that... But, yeah, he's got a very different opinion. And that's why he's earned a lot of money doing it. You know, I just... Oh, God. Yeah, it's... He's, uh, he's the smartest man in pro wrestling for a reason. <laughs> smartest man in pro wrestling. And that hurts me to say that. Um, but... <laughs> But, yeah, like, in summary, this match was dreadful. I have no idea what was coming on. Um, my highlight for me was um, um, Ernest the Cat Miller, um, <laughs> just because it made me laugh so much and got <laughs> in the belt. I also, than... I also love, though, uh, like on a sidebar there, uh, you've got a War Games match. It's cages, right? The it whole point... A war Games match. No, no, okay, was... okay, well... It's, it was, it's meant to be, it's branded as a war game. It falls under that category of like the similar, you know, thing. Um, but the whole point of a cage is to keep people out and to keep it so that it's the competitors and this is the they, big, big blow off and everything. There was at least three or four different run-ins in this match. Yeah, and so the door like was had, open the whole time. Bret Hart comes in. Ernest the Cat Miller come in. The Harris brothers came in. The fucking Chronic Boys came in together for some reason because that's allowed. <laughs> like, this, if there's not going to be any rules, just uh, just literally just ring the bell and go, whoever wants some, get in here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was pointless. But nonetheless, uh, we've talked about this for a very, very long time now. Um, and I know, I have a feeling I, I, I know what you're going to give this. but. 
Uh, I will throw it to you anyway. What is your star rating for this match? I, I, I think this is a staple of everyone's education from wrestlers to promoters to 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 referees to so I think it's must see watching. So do you remember when I gave uh, the uh, kennel from hell match? What did I give that? You gave that four stars. Four stars. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a four star as well. Because you have to watch it. It's so bad. It's so bad. I think it's so important to understand this is how wrestling should not be done. You know, so I, I you know, I, I I understand the merits of the previous one. They were trying something. It was flat and boring. And that deserves a one. I wouldn't recommend to go back and watch that. But I would recommend to go back and watch that because it's a point in history where it was the downturn of a company. No one really cared. And this is how not to do wrestling psychology. This is a how not. I think you and I have very different ideas of how star ratings work yeah it's like, it's it's like, in, like you giving, need to see this stuff. go you're watch getting, it i'm not saying it. it's good i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying four means you have to watch it it's I part think, of the wrestling education i think we should have established before we started this whole thing how we were going to do our star rating because i've been doing mine based on just personal preference you've been doing yours on should people watch it yes or no four stars for russo's revenge <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! You can tweet that. I'm uh, gonna uh, fucking tweet that. You know, you know what? Because it's true. You need to watch it because it's so bad. Because then you understand that this is not what I want to do in wrestling. This is. I actually want. I don't want to. You know, do daft cage matches for no reason. I want to tell stories. I want to revoke responses, not comedy villains, as in like, like, uh, yeah. Anyway, Kevin, take away from this. Kevin Nash is a genius. You know. my takeaway from this is the reason you've given this four stars is because you are what we've already said you are, a Vince Russo guy. <laughs> yeah, I t- I, yeah, I, yeah, I contacted Sticking him. Sticking up for your boy. Sticking up for your boy, bro. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, bro. It's all right, mate. You're welcome. I appreciate all your work. <laughs> oh, you're a Vince Russo guy. <laughs> getting you a T-shirt, mate. Oh, please do. So that's it, everyone. Easily the most anticipated episode of the Culture Exchange to date is in the books. War Games 2000. And yeah, I don't think uh, Cara Noir will be re-watching that anytime soon uh, but you know like he said it's it's essential viewing you know he gave it a high number of stars because as bad as it was you need to watch it it needs to be seen to be believed is the i guess is the right words but uh, yeah that's that and join us on the next episode where it will be my turn to analyze a, a cultural piece of footage given to me by tom dawkins himself but darcy enough about that What's coming up next on the pod? Well, from essential watching to essential listening, we have the golden tongue of the London Lucha League, the most entertaining person we've seen, and probably the richest, it's Tarquin.
has uh, Tarquin slash yourself been up to uh, for like this strange year that we've had? Anything, uh, anything interesting that we were, the people might not know that uh, you've been up to? I mean, I think you know fairly obviously Tarquin's been roaming around his um, palatial estates and mostly in the west wing for the for the summer and uh, back into the east wing for winter for the for the warmth um, and very much just not sitting around in a in a two bed flat next to a building site that's been continuously going <laughs> off nine to five every day since March. Um, it would be really terrible to have to live like that. Um, I, you know, I've just been kind of keeping trying to keep fit. Had a sort of real lull in the keeping fit thing. And then had to do more keeping fit to keep that. Um, done a lot of Reset Lab stuff. Um, so back in August, uh, Reset Lab, which is run by um, Tom and Claire, who, can we call them friends of the pod? We are yeah, friends of the pod. Tom is Tom's basically, yeah, Tom's basically the unofficial, official third host of the podcast. But I know you and him are really good friends, but he is also like, you are also, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a uh, abrasive relationship, shall we say. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think it's very much what they call a love-hate relationship. Yeah. Uh, I love him and he hates me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've done, been doing loads of stuff with them as well to, because I am in no way an athletic person who has any balance or control over my body, as I'm sure most people who see me wrestle will say. And so just working with them has been really good fun to try and understand that more, try and learn to do handstands and things like that, stuff I never thought I'd be able to do and kind of interested for what I can get back and start trying to try some of that out in the ring but I, I've sort of ignored a lot of wrestling and social media for the last few months just to sort of get my head out of it because it's not fun when you can't do anything mm. would yeah. you say uh, so I've, I've kept an eye on a lot of the stuff that they've been doing for Reset Lab like obviously yeah. yourself and a lot of the other uh, familiar faces from Lucha uh, did the Reset Lab stuff yeah. I saw a lot of them uh doing some really cool stuff what's the uh what's the coolest thing that you've been able to kind of do obviously everyone's different levels and stuff and as you just uh, alluded to you're not the most uh, <laughs> balanced i guess of people when it comes to uh gymnastics i guess uh, at so, the start at least but have you would you say you've improved and what's the coolest thing you've been able to achieve through that uh, I'm, I'm very happy with like being able to do a good cartwheel which is a good thing but the main thing was so we went out on the retreat um I'm, I'm terrified of heights, which is obviously why I, I got into Lucha Libre in the first place. And um, <laughs> I, um, there was a thing where you basically stand on someone's shoulders and like people help you up and then they step away. So you're just standing on someone's shoulders and then they stand up. So you're sort of, you know, standing on someone's oh, shoulders while they're standing up. Um, and I did that with Bruno Brown on the retreat, um, which was amazing. And he, the thing is, he did it. And I was trying to say to him, don't stand up. I just want the experience standing on shoulders because I'm really bad at fights. And then um, they had the speakers on and Baker Street was playing. And he was just saying, like, I'm, like as soon as as soon as like the big sax thing comes in, I'm standing up. I was like, OK, that's that's how I want to die. That's um, iconic. I love it that. Was there's, some, there's some photos of it where I'm just standing there looking absolutely petrified. I've seen and it's, that. Um, I've yeah. seen that photo. And you do. You've got that sort of resilient fear in your eyes where you're like, yeah. if I move, I'm dead. Like, but I'm, do incredible. I'm doing this, but I I'm pretty sure it's going to kill me. Well, uh, well, as someone who was there, I've got to ask you this because... Obviously, I've seen that. I've actually seen that photo of you as well, where you're on uh, Bruno's shoulders. And I've seen, like I mentioned, a lot of the other guys doing like these amazing things, like handstands and flips and things like that. But there's one person who was on that retreat, and I mentioned this to them. 
but I'm going to call them out on the podcast as well because I think it'll be funny. Um, but there's one person who I have seen no evidence of them doing anything even resembling an athletic manoeuvre, and that is member of Evanly United, Harry Payne. Now, <laughs> yes, I have not seen a single photo of him in movement or a video proving he's done anything. I feel like he very much just went on a holiday and had a little barbecue and watched other people do some stuff. <laughs> I will say, actually, actually, I think, I mean, I think in terms of athleticism, that's completely fair. Um, in terms of playing, he did play a lot of spike ball, which is a whole thing and is basically going to replace wrestling, I think, when things come back in. But that's that's a whole different thing. Um, but what he did do a lot of work in is that, as, as Bruno Brown mentioned in this podcast, Bruno Brown is a teacher. Mm-hmm. And he spent a lot of time working with, um, uh, with uh, uh, Harry Payne on his word of the day. Um, and I think okay. even at some point progressed to mass. And I think actually oh he, he really put a lot of progress in. And I think actually we could be really happy with that. Oh, he's going to go get his B-Tech now, isn't he? Well, um... well, I pick, oh, did you I learn pick... that from Roy Johnson last week? I may be talking, but I know some slang. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard you. Well, I mean, we had you on, uh, on that Project W for the uh, Drop the Mic. I, yeah, and actually, I do want to take a serious moment here because there is a very serious point to make about that, which is mm-hmm. that Malik still will not battle rap me. Oh. He's afraid. He's scared. Clearly, he's he afraid. Won that challenge because I think he he's knows. Scared. He knows who's got the best bars and dare I say rhymes in Lucha, and he will not step up. So, okay. There, I mean, there officially... was another battle. There was another proper battle rap artist in that who I think got absolutely destroyed, and he doesn't want to see that happen to him. <laughs> that is true. Can yeah, confirm I did happen. <laughs> <laughs> I can also and he knows who he is. <laughs> I actually wasn't allowed to bring this topic up on the podcast, so I'm really glad you did, Costa. I'm banned from talking about it. You actually, I'll, I'll yeah. it. and I think that really shows the measure of the man. Malik, Malik's absolutely terrified. Yeah, I think Malik is definitely terrified to to step into the the world of battle rapping with old Tarquin. Um, Tark runs you know, on fire. Malik is terrified. That's not a rhyme, but I'm going to give it. No, I know, but it's it's a it's a chant that was very popular in about 2018. Well, I was going to. I think people are going to recognise that. I was going to say to you, if we could make this official, then as like the official calling out of Malik by Tarquin, is there? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but have you got a little rhyme that you could maybe a little diss that you could give the people a little preview of what to expect? Should Malik accept the uh, the Tarquin challenge? The name's Tarky Q, and I'm here to say I'm the rappingest chap in the United K. Oh, look at spitting bars. Yeah, the trouble is that's really what what I opened the last one with, and I was panicking <laughs> under pressure. It was actually yeah. I mean, at, least, at least I didn't write all mine out months in advance and still lose. So, <laughs> oh, some heat there. I'm oh, going to have to tell him not to listen to this. Brilliant. Oh, the shape. He oh. knows I love him really. <laughs> I don't think he does. I think he's a little bit. Tar- it's a little bit tarp from bleeding through. Sorry, it's it's you know it's very it's very hard to to keep out sometimes. <laughs> no, I love it. And uh, speaking of love, okay, so. We've spoken a little bit about what you've been up to lately. Let's get on to like the main sort of subject here. Let's talk wrestling for a minute. So how ghastly business. I, like, I know, I know, mate. It's, it's it's horrible. It's wonderfully horrible. That's the way I like to describe it. Um but yeah, how, why, when, like what uh where where does your you know 
where did your attraction, I guess, to wrestling kind of start? I, people love to say about the first match they watched, and I cannot remember any of that. Um, but I was a, I was a ch- I was a child during the Attitude Era, and I try to make people think I'm as young as they think I am. So I'm not going to say how old, but I I was a kid when you know wrestling was very popular when it was on um, Channel Four even. And I think a lot of people always say, oh, there was a posh kid at school. And so we used to go around his and watch it on Sky there. Luckily, I was the posh kid. So I no. could just watch it on Sky um, no, at, my, at my parents' I, house. I do not buy for a second that Tarquin was the posh kid at school. <laughs> well, the thing is, my favourite wrestler was Triple H. And I don't think that it was until I was, about, I was in my 20s that I realised that this sort of very privileged um, guy who won all the time was meant to be a heel. Oh my god! I I, 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 cre- I created a website, um, official hh, uh, sorry, unofficial hhh dot or something like that, which was a Triple H fan site with like lime green text on a black background, just about Triple H being great. So you thought the biggest heel in the business was the biggest baby but, face in the business? What you need to understand, dear boy, is that like throughout two thousands, he like he's got the face run against Kurt Angle, and it's brilliant. And the the one thing I really clearly remember from the Attitude Era is um, there's the spoilers here for Survivor Series 2000 if you've not seen it. But in the main event, they go outside for some reason and like Triple H is in a car because he wants to run down Stone Cold again. And Stone yep. Cold like picks up the car in a forklift and drops it off. And like Triple H is just screaming, screaming like, oh, don't do it, Austin, don't do it. Um, I was um, quite a young child at the time and I'd snuck downstairs at four in the morning or, yeah, I was still awake at four in the morning to watch just this entire pay-per-view. And I went to bed, like, four in the morning, like, having seen my hero, like, get dropped from, like, this... <laughs> like, I was like, I know it's fake, but I'm just really worried about him. And, <laughs> well, like, it's, it's I was, funny I was terrified. That's actually, well, that's actually a similar thing what happened to me, but I might, mine, I'd say, was, like, about around the same time, to be fair. I remember seeing... I don't think I saw it the night it happened, but I remember seeing like a video replay of Austin getting run over by the car, which was exactly yeah. a year before that. And I remember seeing that and thinking, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Thought, yeah. What's, what's this? First of all, what's this got to do with wrestling? And second yeah. of all, what has driven this man to try and kill? So- I thought they were just they're fighting for a championship. Like, yeah. How important is this championship that you need to get the guy run over? And then, yeah, then seeing... Triple H get dropped in the foot. I thought he died. I was like, well, yeah. that's it for was, him. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like shaking. I was like, <laughs> Triple H's going to be all right. Um, and yeah, I, I, just, I just really remember that. And then I remember like, I used to like play wrestle with my brother and get told off by my dad a lot um, because my brother's younger than me um, and probably shouldn't have been doing that. And I remember like at school one time, they like broke out the, uh, the crash mats and I just went like straight up onto a gymnast, like a, one of those like gymnastic horse things. Yeah. Like just went straight up on there and did like the Hardy Boys like guns to my head thing and just did a <laughs> like big swanton off it onto the crash mat and just got like the biggest, the biggest bollocking I've ever had. Um, for the one time in PE, I actually did something athletic. Well, maybe um, that's totally worth it. Though. Well, maybe that's why you like are so like now in your wrestling career, you're so ap- the opposite to that because you peaked too early on the yeah, flip. Yeah, yeah. I, it was it's it was foundational in me. It's 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 sort of Freudian really that I had this very formative experience where I was chastised for flips, and so now I'm no flips, just whips. 
do you think like as you've because I I think we've spoken about this on a different podcast but you when you're younger you are just absolutely careless you have no regard for your own safety and when you watch wrestling you just do all this crazy shit and as you get older you get that sort of embedded fear in you and you yeah you don't you don't want to do stuff like that anymore you hear it Callum Newman it'll happen to you yeah, no I I don't know about well, I, well, you say that. People said this about Will, like Osprey, yeah, that's a few true. years ago. Everyone was like, "Ah, oh, he'll never, he'll always be doing flips." He just went on Facebook the other week <laughs> and basically said he's now having to stop doing the shooting star press. He did. Yeah. He did. Is that because the weight he's put on though? Because he is, he is, would, a, he is, he is a hench, he is a chap these days. I would imagine it has a lot to do with the size and the like, the <clears throat> mass beef that he yeah. now holds on his body. Yes, he did all right in the G one with it though. He did. I spent a lot of time watching. Again, for somebody who's seen me wrestle, you won't. You'd be surprised to know I love Japanese wrestling and all that stuff. I just can't do any of it. But I thought I had a great time watching that. Well, um, we're here to put you over, not the other Will. Like he's had, he's had his time. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. What have I ever done other except put people over? Whoever puts me over? (laughs) Me, I put you over. Yeah, that's fair. Any, I think anyway, Clementine back to, back to me. over quite a lot. To be fair. That's true. She's the one person who did. Unlike, um, as we'll get to, Bruno Brown, who completely forgot about something very important about me. You didn't talk about. Oh, but exciting! We'll um, but actually, I, I, I basically stopped watching wrestling when the Attitude Era finished, really, um, because the WCW guys came in. And I've just been hearing they were crap all the time, and so I was a little child who was just like, "Oh, WCW is bad." And then, like, they did the the brand split. And I just didn't understand it. So I just stopped and went and became a goth instead. When I was thinking about this, I remembered that in 2007, I did see my first ever live wrestling because I went to Reading Festival and someone said, oh, some, there's some wrestling on it, like the, um, the cabaret tent. After this, we're going and see it. And it's just like, it's just like Mexican wrestling thing. And it turns out that was Lucha Britannia. Yeah, so way. like about 10 years, nearly 10 years before I, um, before I, started, rest, before I started training there. I saw like what would have been like a really, really early Lucha Britannia show. Do you remember much it. about it? Do you remember who was in? No, it I was very, I was I, I'm afraid I was quite drunk. Fair. I mean most I wish I wish I remember I wish I remember stuff about it. Um but I've, and unfortunately I have tried to ask about it. But of course everyone in it who is wrestling who so has been dropped on the head quite a lot since then can't remember anything about the show <laughs> other other than it happened. So it's a real shame. But yeah, it was like a nice little nice little coincidence. It was like the one time I watched wrestling for about 10 years. Oh, so, so you mentioned there, like, obviously one, one of your favourite wrestlers was Triple H, and we'll come back to kind of like some of your influences in a bit, but you alluded <laughs> to it there. Like, So you saw Lucha Britannia in 07, then about 10 years later, you, you made the plunge and decided you wanted to actually get involved yeah. in wrestling and all that. What kind of made you decide now's the time to do it and what made you pick Lucha and, you know, how, how was that, uh, that first ever session? I mean, so at some point in, I think it would have been about 2015 or 2016 my friend Jamie who'd been talking to me about wrestling for um, a while and like talking about like Ring of Honor CM Punk and Samoa Joe stuff like from back in the day he had a spare ticket to go and see um, uh, RevPro at your call Um, and I went along thinking well it's British wrestling it's gonna be terrible Um, you know it's just gonna be like it's I just thought you know I know he says it's good but it can't be that good and I went through the door and like the first thing I saw on there was or the first person I saw was Colt Cabana. I was like, oh, I've heard of him because like some mates who liked indie wrestling were into him and I knew his friends were CM Punk and stuff. And I'd heard about that. Um, I thought, oh, this might be all right then. And then um, the main event was uh, Osprey versus AJ Styles. And oh, I was wow. just like, wow. And um, 
young young William is is um, from Essex, as as am I. Although uh, uh, I'm from a posher part, and that's not even <laughs> that that's not even a gimmick. I am shoot quite posh, as I'm sure you both know. Um, yeah. But I quite like that because I think at that point he was even getting a bit booed because he was from Essex and it was a London crowd. So I like instantly like got on his side, and I'd never heard of him or AJ Styles, but and they just had a incredible match um, that I absolutely loved and. So I just started going to shows with my friend Jamie a bit after that. And then um, a few, I don't know, I can't remember how long later, my friend um, Karl Anker, um, shout out to him, who was working for BuzzFeed, went down to um, Lucha and did a session there, and did a piece on it for BuzzFeed. And I read it and just thought, I could, I could go down to that. This seems kind of fun. And for some reason through Twitter or something, I knew a guy called um, Alex Wilson, who'd, who'd been training there for a while, who um, I think... Uh, I think still lives in China now, but he's, he's not around. He's not been around for a while, um, and so he sort of encouraged me to go down as well. And I just, um, I had the classic thing as well. Of then, I thought I finally got up the courage to go and do it, and I did it because I was about to hit a birthday, and I wanted to do it before that birthday for some reason. It wasn't mm. a big birthday, but it's just like so I could say I'd started at a slightly younger age than I had, and um, I'm talking about age a lot. I don't think I've got a complex, <laughs> um, and I had the classic thing of going in and just seeing you know, the mats and everything. And, I, and you know, I don't think I was expecting like the performance centre or anything. But I wasn't expecting, and I've seen the photos in the BuzzFeed article, but um, yeah, it's just like seeing the gallery for the first time and it's just, it's just weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's <laughs> not what you all expect. This stuff. No. Uh, and I was just like, Gary took the first session um, that I was at. I didn't meet Greg for quite a while, actually. And um, I just remember at the end, like, there was loads of people who were really welcoming um, and I remember seeing like um, like Cassius. There's a guy called um, Dan who had like a twirly moustache. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers him. And like, there's a few I, people I there. But, like, I do, yeah. Yeah, but I remember like also thinking like I was expecting a very macho thing. And like you know, there's Gary there. He's got his like bright hair and everything. And um, yeah, there's loads of, like I always say like seeing when I saw Cassius there and seeing like everyone just loved Cassius. It's like okay, this isn't this macho thing where you know it's not like rugby at school or something where it's just about you know just uh yeah it's, it's just not that macho culture basically and uh so I just kept at it and the thing was well like Gary kept saying at the end of the session like you know you can keep doing this you'll be superheroes it's like yeah I could I could do this <laughs> and I was no good at any of it but I was just kind of too stubborn to stop and I just kept going down on um I just kept going down and trying it and then um yeah the, I was blown out as well. I was like, I was, you know, running like regular half marathons and stuff at the time and mm. like I was the gym and then the Lucha warm-up just blew me out. Like, I'm living in fear of when, when we eventually go back and do that first Lucha warm-up again because it's going to kill me. <laughs> so how, how long was it uh, between, do you have a rough idea of how long it was between starting training and your first match? So it was just under a year. Um, I think I started my birthday's in February and I went just before that. And then the first match I did uh, was on like the old classic um, Triple L shows. Um, yeah, when it's just called the Triple L Student Show. So I know it's called, still called London Neutral League then, I think. It just it started that, but they stopped doing the, the league thing with the three teams they used to do, yeah. like the Dragon Gate faction things. Um, so, and I was in like, I was in a just a Rumble match. Uh, which was just great fun. I remember, like, I got home the night before um, that show. I think it might have been there'd been like the Lucha show before, like the night before, and we were like doing it on Saturday afternoon. 
and my boots had just arrived that day. So I'd like if I, I don't know what I was going to do if my boots hadn't arrived that day. Just go Matt Riddle. Just go barefoot. Yeah. I don't know if that was, I don't think that suits Arquin though. He's got very dainty feet. Um, <laughs> but like I think like Greg had like been talking about character stuff and just like pointing at people. He just pointed at me and he goes like, and I'd put you as like a posh like guy that like dodges everything and everyone wants to see getting beaten up and he's not quite. And then at the end he gets beaten up and everyone's really happy. I was like, oh, I could I could work with that. I, I'm you know, I say I'm, I'm I'm shoot quite posh. I could uh, I could play up to some of that. Um, and so yeah, I just through like the end of that year, I'd worked on Tarquin and then got him. I remember like the, the session before, like Greg gave, like found a cape and just handed it to me and go, hey, there you go, this will be, be a bit of Tarquin, you can wear this. So <laughs> and I found that I've been doing a lot of clearing out in the last few weeks. I just found it <laughs> like in here. So it may need to be returned to the gallery at some point. But that's the one so, and only time I've ever worn a cape. Did you, um, no, go on. I was going to say, because Greg, Greg is known for just putting people on the spot and giving them a gimmick. Um, mm. Did you prior to that? Did you have an idea in your head about what you wanted to be? The thing is, so I'm, I'm I'm a person who doesn't drink anymore, who works for the council, and I'm quite I'm quite a boring person. So I sort of wanted to be an annoying council worker who came down with like a really nasal voice, um, and right. like, <laughs> but I couldn't really make it work. And then I found out like Damien Dunn was doing that, so um, I, yeah. I, I, I I didn't do that. Luckily, I just went to being a posh person because there's no one else in the history of wrestling who's ever done that before. <laughs> well, you know what? It, you do put your own stamp on it. I will say that. I think we'd all uh, yeah. say if it's, you didn't, but yeah, Tarkman yeah, is definitely no, his own thing. It's it's a trope, and there's obviously like a few people who do. You know, there's a few people who done like posh gimmicks. Obviously, like say Gideon Gideon Gray earlier, who I'd seen before, so I knew like not to do that. And then like I knew, but I think I'd seen uh, Windsor wrestle before as well, and obviously he he's you know did a lot of lucha stuff as well. Um, and I think, like, just after I put the gimmick together, maybe just after I had the first match, Spike Gervais put out his first promo video that I hadn't seen. And then, like, ev- all my mates who I'd sort of got to come down and, like, you know, been telling them about Tarquin that was great. And they were like, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen this? It's just the same. It's like, oh, no. Oh, but, like, no. but, like, and I was thinking, but, like, this is the character that, like, is natural to me. This, like, Tarquin is me turned up to 11, which is a really, it's, it's a very strange thing to think about. <laughs> um, but it's almost like an, it's is basically an apology for how posh I actually am. <laughs> well, I think as well, like it, you, it's inevitable to have that in wrestling, though, where you're going to have yeah. characters who are like similar in terms of like if you if you had to write down a one word sentence of what a character is, there's like there's only so many like short sentences in the world to put together mm. to quickly describe a character. So you're going to have a lot of characters that would use the sentence posh boy gimmick you know type, yeah. that kind of thing so yeah there's going to be lot, like similar gimmicks but it's all just about everyone ha- putting their own spin on it and i think you yeah. do a great job of doing that for tarquin as does uh spike does a great job mm. of that with his and gideon and so on uh and like yeah. before all of you guys like mm-hmm. regal was like doing it and like all oh, of these other people totally. you know so it's it's not so much that the character needs to always be original it's just mm. the presentation of the character needs to be original uh to the person doing it totally i think I, I, it's even the same with like moves and sequences or something because you'll always get you know ev- everyone steals stuff from everyone but yeah. it's like if you if you if you're even just completely outright stealing something you're always putting your own spin on it it's always going to be you doing it and your certain way of doing that that move or that sequence or that gesture or whatever um, you know, 
you can you can be a band covering a song and it's never going to be exactly the same it's always going to be like the individuals involved in it coming through yeah absolutely um yeah, yeah. Um, well i was going to say now so um you've had your debut mm-hmm. now one of the things that i think I this know, is what i, I want to talk about many, well i don't know how many people will remember this but i oh everyone, you know, this is the biggest thing in wrestling for like this is bigger than bullet club <laughs> I love it. It, it sold. It sold about ten thousand fewer t-shirts. But so, so, okay, the regime here it yeah. is. So the faction of led by yourself. I'll let you. I'll let you do the full breakdown. Well, but this this was a faction that was established in the London Lucha League for about yeah. maybe a year, something like that. Yeah, it's hard to remember because it kind of it never really had a proper end. Um, they're still getting so, likes on Facebook as well. They People are constantly they, joining the group. The regime, the regime gets more likes on Facebook than Tarquin, <laughs> which is a terrible thing to say. Um, so, one of the reasons for it was so there was going back to before the regime, um, BR as I believe it's it's known colloquially. Um, there was a there was a gauntlet match for the first ever Triple L champion. Yeah, um, I recall. Which was. So, uh, you were in it. You were you were temp- you were temporarily the champion. I was. Your short, your very short first reign. But the first match in that was me versus Kraken, and Kraken was like when I joined. That's it. There were a lot of people there who were really friendly. He'd been there for a while, and really welcoming. But Kraken came in about the same time as me, and you always like gravitate to those people. Um, and so the first match, because um, Kraken was the one who'd organised actually getting the belt together with a few of us. He, you know. Um, a few of us were like helping out with it, but he he like led it. So he was always going to be the first one in the gauntlet match. And because like I think because we were such good mates, um, <laughs> I was sort of given you're going to be the first ones in the gauntlet. It's going to be the two of you against each other, and then he's going to be the he's going to beat you and win the belt. Um, and the few days before that, about a week or so before that, um, I was doing my last training run for for a marathon, and on about mile nineteen, my I felt a bit. I felt something in my ankles, but that's a bit sore. I'll just run that off. And so I get to the end of the mile, the marathon. The I get to the end of the run, which is 22 miles. It's my longest run before the marathon. And it's like 22 miles, absolutely perfect. And I stopped and started to walk back to my flat, and I couldn't walk on this ankle. Um, God. And it turned out I'd like ripped a load of ligaments. So I did what any sensible person would have done. I um, got in a, I got in a car. Um, picked up Claire and a couple of other friends, um, Claire from Reset Lab and a couple of other friends, and uh, drove to Colchester to watch um, Coach Ibushi wrestle in the XWA show, um, <laughs> which is just, I, th- I think it's very good for rehabilitation. Of but course, yeah. Yeah, so that, that was like a week before this match. And I just like, I was just in denial about this because it was my first ever like singles match. I'd had like, it was my second ever match. I'd just done like a rumble the, the month before. And so I was just like strapping up this ankle, like just doing anything to try and make it work. And um, I think I'd just come to you, Costa, with like, okay, this is what we want to do. I want to do like this, 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 tell this story. And you're like, just, you don't need to do it. You know, you just need to do a couple of minutes. Like, you try, you try and do stuff. He's too strong, you know, and then he squashes you. And I was a bit like, and I think you knew I was quite gutted. But like, actually, it's that thing where you go like, no, that was the right thing. Less is more. I can't wrestle anyway. And I've, I've got one leg. So, but I was, just, I was just lying to myself and lying to everyone that I could like actually move because... My ankle was absolutely done. Well, on a, on a, on a, just on a quick side note on that, I actually remember, I do remember that quite well, because I remember that was actually the moment that I realised 
<clears throat> after I told you that that's what we needed you to do, and you mm. went out there and did it, and you didn't complain or anything like that, because I, I, like you said, I could see that you're like, oh man, like you know, yeah. every, everyone in their first match wants to go out there and do mania. You want to yeah. go out yeah. there, get all your shit in, have an amazing match, but the Tarquin character didn't, especially then, like just didn't suit it at the, for that match no. at that time against the character you were going to be against, who's meant to be like a big monster heel. Totally. So. It just needed it to be that, especially when yeah. it's a gauntlet as well, where there's like six other guys, what, however many it was, that were still had to come and come yeah, out and yeah. do stuff. So I could see you were disappointed, but I was, I, I remember chatting to you about it, and I remember not like you never once made a big thing of oh, but I, you know, I have to do this and I have to. Do that. You just kind of did it, and you cracked on. And for, I remember from that point, I remember just thinking of yeah, this guy is gonna be a player here because he understands. Like you're always going to have a role and mm. that role might not necessarily always be the role you want it to be but mm. if you can go out there and nail that role every time you're always going to have a place in wrestling and I've, you so, know, I've gone record and said that about you so many times where it's like regardless of uh, you know the, the amount of matches you end up getting under your belt you will always have a role in wrestling mm. because you're such a good character and you understand your place on the card and you understand um, that sometimes it's not about necessarily you getting over, it's about you helping get someone else over. But at the same time in doing that, you're also able to get yourself over. I don't think totally. I've ever watched a match with you in and not been like excited to see what, you, what you're going to come up with. Because you always have something new every single time. We all know the character, but there's always a little edge to it every single time. And I think that's quite rare in wrestling. You keep reinventing yourself. I think yeah I mean I've come on to some of the stuff recently because I've tried to sort of I've sort of taken that on a bit more but yeah I just that was kind of a that was a lesson in knowing your role and shutting your mouth to, yeah. to coin a phrase um yeah but that was that was an education in knowing that something I understand now which is that a wrestling match doesn't always have to be a wrestling match and and a card that is full of just wrestling matches gets quite dull for me personally mm -hmm. it works for some people mm -hmm. no I, I agree yeah, it's, it's like you do need that. Like, like I say, when I was thinking back to um, to, to the first Rev Pro show I went to, and like you've got you've got great wrestling, and you've got then you've got like Colt Cabana and Gideon Gray and Grado in there. Who you know, there's a couple of great wrestlers in there, and Grado. Uh, that Grado is actually is very good as well. But you know, he, he played up to not being skilled. Um, but you need the entertainment in there, and you need the thing where the guy boasts a lot, and then you know gets completely destroyed, and everyone's happy. Like that's yeah. that's an important a... role in wrestling. It's a variety show, and yeah, you yeah. hit the nail on the head right there. Um, but going yeah. back to like the regime, so yeah, the and regime, uh, that's how we, that's how it started, had, basically. Had, yeah, you've had the gauntlet. Uh, so just as a quick overview, the regime was yourself as the leader. Yeah, uh, the Kraken, Kraken. And the big monster. You had Tengu, and you had Doctor Hertz. Uh, yeah. So you had the four of you guys, and, and you guys yeah. were basically like the heel faction of Triple L for quite a while. I mean, I know you said there was never really a big finish or a big breakup or anything like that. It just kind of phased out because because mm. uh, I think a few injuries happened along well, the, the way. Well, the trouble is that Dr. Hertz exploded. There you go. I hate it when that happens. You're just every in the middle time, of a good every match. Time. Well, I know, right? There is, there is one person from the Rage, Rage team you've not mentioned there, and I can understand why you wouldn't. It's because <laughs> we did steal a, a member from Cost briefly. It's a member who I don't think we can really name for copyright reasons. You can. Um, Her name's Ronda Rowdy, and she was the and best. That, she was, she, she was all right. 
She was the shit. She was the absolute <laughs> shittest wrestler. Was, she was probably the best bodyguard in Koss I've ever seen. It's true. It's true. That's why uh, I recruited the, her. The thing, you can well, tell because Big G only... was petrified of her. Absolutely. Well, listen, the only other bodyguard we've had in Cos Industries was Big G, and yeah. I won't I, look. I love the man. He's he's one of my brothers. He's the, one of the best human beings I know. But he's the shittest bouncer I've ever seen in my life. I remember we put him on the door for Project W a couple of times, and I, 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 he, at one point we came back, and he was just letting people in for free. Oh my yeah. god, I can what, totally what see that. The <laughs> absolute <laughs> definition, absolute definition of a gentle giant. He really is. I, I mean, like, apart from when he speared Ronda, that was. Uh, yeah, you know, if you ever, if you ever get a chance to see a video of Ronda getting speared by BG, it is it is one of the best moves I've ever seen in my life. It's not yeah. on Pornhub; it's on just regular no, YouTube. No, no, it could be, frankly. <laughs> um, but the, yes, yeah, so the, the, wow. the next show after I, the next show I had that mat, after I'd had that match with Krakenlight, we came out and started the regime. I think we did like five run-ins in that match in in that show right. even, and that no, was kind of it for the next wanna, like, few months of Lucha. I want to put myself over for a hot second here. Because this I was your did. thing. Because was the regime thing. was my idea. Yeah, oh, it was. This is because <laughs> it was also like you, you'd see, you'd seen like, so you'd seen that like I could I could talk but couldn't do much else, and also that like I say I was also learned, like injured for like, another two <laughs> Wait, months. I love the way you worded that. I could talk but I couldn't do much else. Yeah, but you know I think it's very important to know and work within your limitations. No, I, I agree. Not I just to, not to say they're always going to be a limitation. <laughs> I just love the way you phrased it. I think with um, the regime, because you guys started a few months before me, I think. Um, yeah, so I think Ash, were, Ash, uh, sorry, Tengu, Tengu and um, Hertz have been around for a bit longer. Um, yeah. yeah. We so were, you, but we, it was like our school year almost. Fresh, yeah. And you, from the, the first match the regime had and were formed, it was all a bit... You know, a, li- a little bit hokey pokey as it is for most new factions. Hey, hey, but, hey, hey! This but, this is a professional package. <laughs> but, but but I think it's because nobody knew their role in the actual the hierarchy of the regime. Yeah. But by by the end of it, the last few matches that you had, it was hmm. very much like I mean, you dominated the Triple L. Um, yeah. And people were going crazy booing you guys. And so I loved, you nailed I, it. I loved it. That was the, and it was such a weird group as well. It was because it was just Tarquin and his monsters. Yeah, and like everyone was like, you know, like because you, you guys were all throwing stuff at me, like the um, uh, the Heenan family and stuff like that, and it's you know, and like, but we did it didn't make any sense. We had a a, a posh dickhead, a sea monster, a yakuza assassin, and a mad scientist, and occasionally <laughs> uh, someone who was a bodyguard uh, with a name potentially influenced by an MMA star. Well, and, and briefly Bacon Junior. <laughs> Oh yes, my god, yeah, that, that is a thing as well. Time. In, in actually, my favourite promo of all time, which is where um, Tarquin is cutting a promo um, to Bacon Jr. when we were fusing with him. And like the Kraken like just keeps making these weird noises and the Kraken just takes his mask off and it's Bacon Jr. underneath because there is nothing I love more um, in the world than someone taking off a mask and having another mask underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> Wait, yeah, well, you know what? Speaking of things that don't make much sense, I've got to ask you about something else. Let's talk about... We've spoken about the regime. Let's talk about your most recent uh, partnership in the yeah. London Yay. Lucha League. Let's talk about everyone's favourite, the London Lucha League champion, Clementine. Um, what is it like being a team with A, the champion, and B, the nicest human being on planet Earth? I always said 
I didn't want Tarquin to go face. And like Burridge, especially, would always say, like, the thing is, everyone loves to hate Tarquin. And, you know, there'll always be a point where if people keep like finding you funny and enjoying your stuff, like you will go face. And I was always like, I'd like to maybe tease it and then double down. And I was always, and I was, I'm always like trying to pitch, like, and then Tarquin gets really dark and scary. And then um, this thing came up. I'd been, um, I'd been injured for basically a year. I'd had a, um, a hernia and needed surgery and like recovery had taken ages. And um, so I'd lost a like lose lose lucha match. And I like snuck back in to get in a, or terribly sorry, Tarquin snuck back in to get into <laughs> a battle royale where the winners, the two, there were going to be two winners and they would, um, they would form a tag team and go up in the next show for an, um, for a shot at the belts. And um, it was, it was me and and, um, and Harrison. There's a, a a guy who's been in and out of Lucha, so gone off to Union things. Uh, he was he was sort of starting up an angle, and Sark was going to get in on that. And we and we're like, okay, we'll be this big heel team. And then we think we've won it. Clementine comes up behind and chucks Harrison out. And I turn around to look back to him and see that like Clementine's there, and Tarquin's just furious about this um, because Clementine is the absolute opposite of Tarquin. Tarquin's very selfish. Uh, he's 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 quite cowardly when you come to it as well. And, and Clementine is the, the epitome of just positivity and bravery and kind heartedness, and like and just shiny. Like she's she's basically a lady Cassius, and like <laughs> yeah, like like and Tarquin and Cassius do not get on. They've they've had their issues over the years, and yeah, it's but. It was really fun because the, the best thing about Tarquin, I think the best thing when you've got a really established character is the way you bounce off someone. Mm-hmm. Mm. And like any comedy act, like a double act, or, you know, uh, like, you yeah, know, Monty Python and Graham Chapman, who was the straight man a lot of the time, who, you know, like, you have all this, like, you can have all this really silly stuff going on, but then you have, um, you know, you've got to have someone in there to show you it's silly and, like, having opposites around each other works really well. So I just really, Tarquin found it very difficult at first because he wants to be this very mean person and he's got his ways of winning, uh, which some might refer to as cheating. Some might refer to it as uh, savvy. Um, But Clementine, you know, wants to do things the right way. She's very law abiding. I believe she is, uh, would refer to herself as lawful good. In yeah. uh, as I believe as the D and D parlance, <laughs> and Tarquin, I believe, would be very much lawful evil. Ne- neut- I think neutral evil because he knows he well he knows the laws actually. But he, he never breaks the laws. Them. He bends the yes, laws. Yes, he never br- he never breaks them. I don't believe Tarquin's ever been disqualified. Oh, that's a question right there. I can't I can't give you the answer to that. I'm afraid I don't know. What don't... about when you I should, when Tarquin, I should know, frankly. When Tarquin yeah. did the um. Oh my goodness! What was it called? The special rules match. The Queensby rules the... match. Queensby rules match. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, is, technically, Bruno Brown was disqualified about. for too much funk. I mean, that shouldn't be a thing. I'm afraid. <laughs> but yeah, Clement. But again, Bruno was fun as a feud because he was the opposite. Clementine as a partner was really fun because she's the opposite, and it just took. That was Tarquin's silly side. So a lot of Tarquin stuff, even when he is heel comes from old sort of especially british comedies where there's a lot of stuff about class and people you know the, the theoretics behind it is that the high status character brought low you see 
Um, but actually, um, and then it's also very funny when he just gets his bum out. Then um, the whole thing with Clementine is that I could play into all these things like very sort of black other things, which is a very posh person who is fundamentally just quite silly. Yeah. Yeah, um, I get that. And has, you know, and is and loves his um like thing around his neck called Kenneth and things like that. And it was just very uh, yeah, it, it was able to do something different. And then there was the the match we had against uh Bruno Brown and uh, uh Lally Chusa which was just great fun. And it, it got the thing that I really like to do in a match, which is we had loads of silliness, at, you know, particularly at the start. And then there was just a moment where Tarquin like grabbed Bruno and started hitting him and telling, and telling him off and saying, get your hands off my friendo. And I think that like, was the, iconic, honestly. I, no, I love it. because I, That's what I love the most in matches. When you do like, you can do a match that's all silliness, you do a match that's all seriousness. I really like in matches, and I think this is the thing that worked with the Queen's Three Rules match as well, where it's really silly and you draw the audience in because they're enjoying it and there's daft things happening. And then you get like an emotional moment and you're so much more invested in something that's got that turn in it than you do, I think. You can, ha- you can do a match that's really serious from the start and like, you know, that, the blood feud, end of that, you know, like the tag team that's turned on each other and something like that where there's loads of story going in but if you could draw someone in with a comedy and then just hit it to the point where it's actually got serious i think yeah. there's a re- there's a really great mood in that and that's what i always like in those matches yeah, if, think, if, if it's if it's the right place for that i, I think it was like it, you, again you hit the nail on the head again it was like that perfect combo of comedy and seriousness <clears> at points but also it was the nice touch of you doing that where you're showing the crowd, because that was almost like the moment, because you'd never really turned face. It yeah. was more just a build up of the crowd is starting to cheer you more and more. And you're like, as a character, you're still mm. uncomfortable with it. But the moment you shouted that, that was like a moment where the crowd went, Yes, he's one yeah. of us now. And then on the opposite end of that, at the same time, not so much turning heel, but just to show that she's also getting an influence from you. Mm. There's that point where uh, Clem was beating, uh, giving him the 10 punches and she, I think she screamed uh, a profanity, shall we say. She, no, uh, she didn't. She, I, she didn't. She did scream, it's Clementine mother fudges. Oh, I mean, okay. that's not I, what we heard. That's not what I heard, for sure. I'll believe you. Tarquin Tarquin certainly does not... Uh, uh, spew forth profanities and so that's certainly what he shouts when that happens <laughs> but no those were that was a match with just loads of cool moments in it and mm. um so like would you say that's uh probably one of the your favorite moments in wrestling that you've had so far or what would you say is like I, a couple of the standout moments for you oh my, my absolute favorite um I, one moment that was really good actually was the moment where after that clementine won the title because i had now wrestling's predetermined kids I had no idea that was happening, um, mostly because I got a whole thing planned in my head for what where I wanted like um, Tarkin time to go for the next like nine months, and like I and like then Tarkin's coming down to celebrate with her, and I just go, oh, I'm really happy for her, but that has kind of put the kibosh on everything I've been thinking about, and I've now got to scratch around for, for something to do. Um, but I, I would only be holding her back, um, and we still got to tag together after that for the family shows and all that. My absolute favourite, and this is why I want to uh, call out Bruno Brown here, because Bruno was talking in his uh, in his chat with you, with you lovely people, that he had a whole plot line coming into him and Lady Genesis um, starting, and he didn't mention that actually that plot 
was Tarquin sabotaging through Tengu, as, you know, part of the end of the regime. Um, that, that was sabotaging his um, chaos match, which could have got him a shot at the Lucha League title. And then Tarquin and Bruno had a feud, um, which ended in my favourite match I've had to this date, which is the Queensby Rules match. Um, and I know there is a... Well, so Bruno basically came to me and said, I think it would be cool if you do you start this off and we have a little mini feud and it ends in a Queensby Rules match. Um, there was a Queensby Rules match in about 2001, 2002, I think. Yep, Jericho um, and Chris, Regal. Chris Jericho and Regal. Uh, and I loved both of them when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, it's in the run-up after um, Mania 17 because they have the yep. match at 17, which is it great. Judge, like, Judgment Day 01. Yep. Um, and actually, it might have been it might have been backlash, but anyway, yeah, nonetheless, carry on. That's not what people are here to hear. Yeah. Um, the uh, like, so I I think I knew about that, but if I had seen it, it was just at the point that I stopped watching, um, and I never went back to watch it because I didn't want to be too influenced by it. But it's a match where Regal keeps coming out and stopping the match because, or the Duchess of Queensbury rather, keeps stopping the match because it's under Queensbury rules, and there are all these obscure rules that mean Jericho can't win. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we just and so Bruno pitched that to me, and I really liked it because it's just a match we could get real silliness in. Um, and I had this whole run because in the pro, so the first thing that um, the, fir- the first match basically there was the middle of chaos match. A video played because I was away for some reason, um, where like Tarquin set like called out Bruno Brown, um, and because I was away, I'd done it really quickly. I'd accidentally called him Bobby Brown in it. And like, so there was a whole thing where like every time, like during this feud in all like the promos, uh, like in the ring and like the videos leading up to it, I was calling Bruno Brown, just other names beginning with B Brown. And um, yeah, and then we just got to this whole thing where like I came down and Bruno's like, what's, what's a Queensbury Rules match? And I had like a rugby scrum cap on, which is like part of your Queensbury Rules equipment. And it's just my favourite, my favourite promo I've ever done where I just run through the Queensbury Rules rules really quickly. So I just I just made up a load of stuff. I, I went on. A, I think I went for a run, and this is how. I, if I'm doing any writing, I will always like I will write it in my head while I'm running. I'll come back with it basically done, and it was just reeling off these rules really quickly. They were absolute nonsense, um, and they all just kind of some of them like paid off during the match, and it was just really fun because so Tarquin's um, wife and second cousin once removed Cordelia was the <laughs> Duchess. Um, we love Cordelia, the uh, woman of Lucha London League. Lucha London that's, League. That's yeah. not what it's called. <laughs> London Lucha. You know what? It's been how long like, is it? I, I know it's been a while since we've done it. I don't it, even but... know. I don't know how old I am. Oh, you know. wow. But it, you know, I mean, Cordelia rules. Yeah. That's, that's the main point. So it just used to. So this whole match was basically Bruno getting the upper hand, but then like, so he'd reached the Maison, but hadn't raised his right hand and shouted Maison. Therefore, he had to. Stop until, you know, he did that, which made I could, like, knock him off the corner. And then he hit me with his finish. Um, but then uh, Cordelia blew the whistle and it was t- and it, uh, because it had been 50 overs and that was time for tea. And, like, she brought out a tray of cucumber sandwiches. And um, it was just the most fun I think we'd ever had. And so there was a moment we built in. And, again, this just plays into that same thing where Bruno just got sick of these rules. And so he took off, like, the scrum cap and, like, threw it to the ground and said, like, fight me like a man. And, like, so I, like... And that, that invoked the Alphonse Gambit, which meant that all bets were off. So Tarquin took off his, <laughs> he took off his, <laughs> threw it down, shouted uh, Alphonse Gambit. 
and like we just charged each other and did like the Kevin Owens Sami Zayn punches and like the crowd from that was it's the best reaction I've ever had and I, yeah, like, I, maybe that one it's because it was that moment of oh we've been enjoying this and now they're fighting and then yeah, I remember I remember I don't think it is you know because I remember that match and I remember going up to you you and Bruno after mm. and saying that's easily well, I remember saying to you, that's 100% the best match you, like, I've seen you have ever. No, I, rem- no, uh, I remember, you did say that. I do remember you also saying, when did you learn how to work, kid? Oh, that was it. <laughs> yeah, that- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that must have been all right then. No, it was. It was, it was awesome. It's 100% one of the best moments that we've had. Um, and yeah. that's, that's the thing about wrestling, I think, that a lot of people forget. And like, when, when I listen to a lot of... Um, like more, way more experienced wrestlers who have obviously been to the big league. When I listen to other people's podcasts, like a Jericho or uh, mm. Christian and things like that, like the the main theme I seem to pick up on, and I agree with it now that I've heard it over and over again, and I've experienced it, is that wrestling is about moments. It's not about yeah. matches. Mm-hmm. Like only a select number of matches are truly, really remembered mm. for everything in the match. Yeah. Whereas the moments are what stay with you. And for yeah. us in London Lucha League, I would say you have hands down had so many awesome moments. And not even just in the London Lucha League, but like I, like the uh, the XWA thing with the the whose line is it anyway? Oh, that was amazing. That was superb. I, <laughs> I was so happy. I forgot about that. that. Like, I remember how good that was. That was amazing. There's, the first round of that is online, and I do need to bug Dan for the rest of the footage actually of that because yeah, that was so much fun that. to do. And like I was, I got to do that. So it was. It was whose clothesline is it anyway? So it was a load of rounds from whose lines it anyway. And it was me, Gideon Gray. And again, first ever wrestling show I'd sort of intentionally gone to see. Um, had him on and, you know, um, and also um, Simon uh, Grimm, knee Simon Gotch uh, for the Vorbins WWE, which uh, was actually very cool for me because the first time I'd ever seen a WWE show was NXT London. And he was one of the first okay. guys through the curtain on that. So that was that was wicked. And Jetta. Who is just the best? She's the, my favorite. She's I love her. So good. Well, again, I remember um, that was one of the most like entertaining things that I've ever seen, and it was just, it's not a match. It was just a moment. No, no, no. You go. You go, 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 go. I was I, just going to say, like the most when I think about the person in Lucha <laughs> in London Lucha League. There we go. Who's got the most colorful timeline? It's definitely you. Like I can mm. remember. As Costa said, I can't remember everything in your match, but I definitely remember the moments in your match. I remember so many different bits that you've done that have entertained me and stayed with me. And I can't remember anyone else on the roster that does that. My career is very much like a range of turns. There's a whole spectrum of colours it can go. <laughs> <laughs> can, um, I put, I, can I just put myself over for a second with that as well? Of because course you can. The, um, the, so that match... So well, so that that wasn't a match. That was just a, se- a segment, and it was great. It was so much fun. I had a I had a blast with it. There was a six man tag after. So it was we, had just done a run in on a segment. Uh, this is the time I got to get in the ring with Cassius as well, which was great fun. Um, and so we had a six man match after that. And I um, remember I got my legs kicked a lot in that, which were really sore, which is very annoying. So that match was at half nine at the Resgal in East London. I then got in a car drove straight from that match up to um, York, got there about one in the morning, got about six hours sleep, and then um, nine o'clock that morning, I, I ran the Yorkshire Marathon. Oh, my it. God. Oh, my God. Like, no, I remember this, because Ronda Rousey was in that match, and you were just like... you. I think you left in gear, didn't you? 
I think I, I think I drove most of the way in my gear. Yeah. Yeah, that was incredible. Crazy. And I got a personal best time, um, sub four hours. So yeah. Oh, lovely. There you go. <laughs> Just uh, so can we leave that in because it makes me sound really cool. No, we'll leave that. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're about ready to wrap this thing up here. Uh, but before we do, um, and before we get into kind of like the last part of the show, uh, what kind of things can we expect uh, from you, from Tarquin, when and, you know, when the world is kind of back to normal and wrestling's back? Do you have any, like, particular goals that you've set yourself or just... Maybe you don't want to tell us your goals, but just think places you want to work or things you want to do. It's weird. So I had a goal for this year, which was a number of matches I wanted to hit. And I was on track. For that. I think I was just ahead of that because I just wanted to be able to get in front of people and like have matches, just get build up my confidence in the ring um, and so on. Because I, I, I'm very like nervous, as I think you might know, around that. Um, I sort of get as many matches in as you can and just apply all the stuff you can. And obviously, like say, even if it's a small role in a match, um, go for it. And that's why actually tagging with Clem's been really good because, and tagging as a face has been really good because I take all the heat and tags on when you, you can actually do something for a hot tag and then we wrap up at the end. Um, but I was, I, was, I was happy with where I was going with that because I felt I was starting to get some matches, confidence was starting to improve. Um, and then obviously all this hit. Um, and so I've, I've not really thought too much about what I want to do when I get back. I tried to, but I find it very difficult to do, to work things out in my head without trying stuff in front of people. Um, so I've probably not thought about it as much as I should do, because I think there are a lot of changes that I want to make in some ways. And I think I can present Tarquin better. Um, but I, I find it very hard to think about that without knowing that I can try it out in front of people in like two months, three months, whatever. So I think it's going to depend on how I feel when I get back. One thing that I feel quite confident in, though, is that, that, that wrestling over the last few years has moved towards being a thing where people have very like physical matches and like a lot of promotions that have been started up or bigger ones. Um, are trying to push that element of, you know, this is a legitimate sporting contest and they want that feel to their shows. And I, I feel really that that's a world that Tarquin doesn't really fit in and that's absolutely fine. There are obviously a lot of people who love watching that and want to see that. And, you know, it, it's what a lot of British wrestling over the past five years of boom has been built on. Um, Tarquin doesn't fit into that. That's fine. Um, but I, I think that the next few years, once we get back to real life, I guess, people are going to want character stuff they're going to want um fun and they're going to want i think more of the stuff that's in lucha lucha can feel like a bit of a bubble that's outside of british wrestling because what what happens in lucha is quite different and i think you know people like um car uh, uh, noir and what's paddy's gimmick name gene money gene money yeah uh, so people like car noir and gene money have really shown that there is a market for that and people do want to see that but I do think that people are going to want that more. I think what we you do refer to as family-friendly wrestling, where there's big characters. And I'm not saying, you know, you go back to, like, new generation, have, like, dumpster men coming out and wrestling and stuff like that. Or, you know, you go full camp show or anything. But I do think that people want that escapism and fun and maybe will come away from that thing of that very realistic presentation. And I, I'm kind of interested to see how Tarquin can fit into that, hopefully. 
I might be yeah. completely wrong, and I might, and you know, I might be a niche that is no longer needed at all. But I'm quite interested to see how wrestling changes with that, and I'm quite positive that that might be an environment that works well for me. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I think when we come out of all this, the world's going to need and en- like entertainment, like as much as mm. you know, I I thoroughly enjoy like all all different types of wrestling, including you know the Japanese strong style type of wrestling. Yeah, totally. Um, the new kind of style of British wrestling that's been presented for all these past few years. But for me, the best kind of wrestling is a diverse wrestling, and yeah. by that I don't just mean in terms of cultures and ethnicities. I mean in terms of just the amount of variety you can get on a show because there's only so many times you can watch the same thing happen mm. in a two three hour show you want you want some comedy you want some hard hitting action you want some technical wrestling you want high flying like you need a bit of everything and i think yeah. you're 100 percent right there's always going to be a, and i've said it to you so many times like people like you who are like good at character work and are able to um understand not only how to get themselves over but how to help put other people over you'll always have a place in the business like there's no there's no denying that Um, i would be so if if you ever decide and this is absolutely no pressure of course because everyone changes their minds at some point but if if i was to go to a london Lucha, lucha league show and you'd actually left it i think there'd be a huge gap there I think you, you. you you are so unique and you bring so many new ideas. And you and like we said earlier, you always put people over and you always give everyone a really, really good match. I think it would be a real shame to not have you there. So. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think always with Dark Queen, promotions and bookers, you know, need to know how to, how to use it. And if, if you're a promoter who just wants a wrestler or someone to put on just a wrestling match, that's not me and that's fine. I like had moments where I was like why you know how do I get on these shows and the fact is they're just not for me and that's that's absolutely fine you know that one of the great things about how much wrestling there is is like that you can go to the shows as a as a punter you can go to the shows that appeal to you and give you the kind of wrestling you want um and, and I think you know London Lucha League is somewhere that plays up to more of the you know the character and and the fun and you know at times you know, some of the family-friendly stuff. Uh, other times, it's it, it is more um, sort of character and cabaret-based, depending on which show it is in there. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I feel that's my that's my role. I'm, I'm happy with it, and it has taken me a bit of time to get happy with that because I, there was definitely a time was like, one, I, why can't I do this big indie match? And I don't, I don't want to, and I think that's fine. It, Absolutely. Like, but if a, you know, and I think I struggle sometimes if I'm trying to put myself over to a promoter that maybe wants that and I'm now very comfortable and go, no, it's fine. It's, 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 it's not for you. Don't, don't worry about it. And it's not my problem either. That's such a really yeah. great outlook. I think. Really, it's really good. I don't get booked very much. So I need to have something to hang on to. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, cool. That's uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think like we've said, that's, it's a hundred percent right. We need that variety. But now speaking of a bit of variety, I, I would oh, find it's, it's it a hard. variety performance. <laughs> sort of. So I'm going to kindly ask, if you don't mind, uh, could you bugger off for a bit, and could we speak to Tarquin for a uh, moment? Uh, just, 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 just give me a moment, sir. Okay. Right. <laughs> Jeremy, sorry, feline's just entered. Ah, right. Ah, the, well, the cat. There you go. The, the, the old feline. Yeah. 
I, I'm dreadfully sorry. I went, I went for some uh, Foley sound effects. And I'm afraid it's all gone uh, as, uh, to coin a phrase, Pete Tong. All right. Oh, so, oh, so I, I think I'm speaking to Tarquin now. Yes, although unfortunately I have been picking up some of that ghastly uh, cocky rhyming slang from Mr. Barrage, so that may have slipped out somewhat. Oh, wonderful. Well, Tarquin, it's a pleasure to have you here, finally. Um, so It's to tolerable up, to be here. <laughs> wonderful. Um, so to wrap up this here podcast, normally we, you know, we end on a bit of a game. Sometimes it's a word association, but for you, being a gentleman of uh, a high IQ, I guess... Um, we've decided to give you... Uh, I suppose, uh, not I guess. Uh, okay, I wow. apologise, I suppose. Uh, we've decided to give you something that's very seems to be a common thing now in the current world we're living in, and that's a pub quiz. I do relish any opportunity to demonstrate my superior intellect. Wonderful. Well, okay, <laughs> it's very straightforward. We've got nine... Nine questions for you, and then one bonus question. Now, the bonus question is worth six points. All right, so Darcy Stone's going to keep track of the score, and we'll oh, let you know I? your I'm final. Okay. Yeah, 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 you're going to be doing that. Gives you something it, you It's okay. It's only because he's enumerates who's left this to you. Fair. Exactly. <laughs> so, oh, with that in question. mind, are you ready for question one? My dear boy, I was born ready and extremely rich. I will have to accept your first answers on all of these, by the way. That's fine, they shall be correct. Okay, question one. Who is next in line to the British throne after Queen Elizabeth II? That would be His Royal Highness Charles the Prince of Wales. That is the correct answer. One point. Uh, What is the full postcode of the Houses of Parliament? I have to ask my secretary. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to get no, your yeah. servants involved here. I'm afraid. Yeah. No. No conspiring and no googling. It's a pub quiz. You don't have googling. Like, secretaries at Weatherspoons. I'm not bowling googlies. <laughs> I, I will need to push you for an answer. <sighs> it would, I suppose it would have to begin with a W. Okay. That's not really an answer, though. That's just what you're guessing it begins with. <laughs> Is it perhaps, perchance, W11AA? W11AA. Is that your final answer? That that is incorrect. It doesn't matter. You told me you would accept my first one. Well, that's that's incorrect anyway. Well, it's a stupid question. (laughs) It's a very simple question. Yes, it's a simple question for one who has to... He wants to deal with correspondence rather than simply dictate it. Well, anyway, the the correct answer... You were close, so I'll give you that. It was W1A0AA. Uh, no, come on, come on. No, no, I'm sorry, mate. Question That's fine. Three. If, if I ask for 78 to your ads and someone brings me a 79, I'm not happy. So precision is, is, is necessary. I think, I think you might get this one. Uh, this is a sports question. Ah, um, oh, polo, how- smashing. Well, actually, it is a polo question. How many chuckers are there in a polo match? And is that after they've gone through all five furrows? Um, I don't know. Sure, why not? Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I've just, I, yeah, let's just pretend I haven't copy and pasted this question off of a Yay, pub quiz course. I found. <laughs> so presuming that we're playing under the Winchester laws, three? 
Uh, I've got here six, I'm afraid. Ah, uh, yes. You see, I was thinking of the three on each side, so six in total. Yes. Oh, can we, right, we can't well, really accept that. Rhonda, you're the independent adjudicator, so I'll let you decide. I mean, point I or am... no point. I do love Tarquin, but I'm afraid I am a stickler for the rules, so I'm going to have to say... <laughs> this is exactly wow. why we ejected Rhonda Rowdy from the regime. Oh, I'm fine yeah. with that. Darcy's doing um, great. Right. Okay. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps this will help. Um, this will, you know, this might get you back on the scoreboard. Still, only got the one point. Saying the name of what dried fruit used to be used to encourage people to smile before a photo in the 1800s, before the phrase cheese was coined. Which fruit was it? That's the trouble. I'm not very good at modern technology. <sighs> dried, dried fruit, you say? Yes. Which, what was the name of the dried fruit that people used to say instead of saying cheese when taking a photo to help people smile? Quince? Like a quince jelly, perhaps? It was, it was prunes, I'm afraid. Prunes, ah, uh, yes, well... It's like a real pout if you say that. It's like prune, real pouty. I think, I think that's kind of how they used to post photos, was it not? <laughs> Well, you see, dear boy, actually, in that point, there was a very long exposure. So when one was sitting for a portraiture, one would have to remain static for a very long time. Queen Victoria was actually a very, very joyful woman. But because she had to sit for so long for these tedious photo portraits, she always seemed rather glum. I see. Um, well, maybe a bit of cheese could have helped her. And speaking of which, the next question is... Gouda is a popular cheese originating from which country? Oh, it's going to be Swiss or something ghastly like that, isn't it? Is that your answer? I don't care. It's continental nonsense. Give me a good, mild cheddar. I'm going to need an answer, though. Switzerland's well, I've, given you, I've, I've given you one, and you were quite clear, my dear boy, well, yeah, that, but you that you have to accept my first you answer, said, so none you, of this final answer nonsense. <laughs> well, yeah, but you never said that that was an answer. You just said it, it's going to be Swiss or something. Oh, like if you're that. going to be pedantic, of course it's Switzerland. I'm afraid it's the Netherlands. Oh, that's even worse! <laughs> You've um, got your, um, your offshore account in uh, Switzerland, even though it's not offshore. I, I do, but more there. importantly, I've got my dander up now. I'm not going <laughs> to lie, you're not doing too well. Uh, the next question is a science question. Um, how many elements are there in the periodic table? I why would I know that? Well, I you're a highly a educated degree. man. Yeah, but you're educated, are you not? You were privately educated. Yes, which means I have a thorough basis in Latin and Greek grammar. None of oh. this science nonsense. Hmm. So, are I... you going to take a guess? Or... I... I... 180. Uh, can, can you just re repeat that? Because I, th I think I misheard you there. So can you just say it again? I said 180 or nine score if we're talking old money. You know what? That, I kind of uh... you're going to you're going to wish you said it differently because I'm going to wish I never started this dreadful conversation. <laughs> it's 118. <laughs> if you just pronounce it I, I, I will say that is actually quite irksome as a guess 
Yeah. If I liked you, I'd uh, give you a half point, but I don't. So yeah. if still... I liked you, I'd be a much worse person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's go a little bit more pop culture for you. See, seeing as though this, these higher culture questions aren't working for you. Oh, so well. good. Are we going to talk Brahms? Uh, well, no, not quite. Uh, this is a movie question. Uh, what is the? Is it a talkie? Most... What? Uh, I'm not uh, so good at the talkies. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's a talkie. Uh, what is the highest grossing Marvel movie without the word Avengers in the title? Oh, God, it's in colour as well. <laughs> this, uh, is it the one where they took that you know, decent, if somewhat you know, lower middle class, um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, and made him put on a dreary... Uh, American accent. Uh, do you mean Doctor Strange? Uh, I'm afraid I probably do. Uh, well, that's incorrect either way. It's the Black oh, Panther. No. <sighs> tut, tut. Okay. Well, you've still got a chance to make up some ground. We've got two more one-pointer questions, and then the big bonus question. Uh, we're going to go back to a bit more culture again. So this one is this one. I think you'll get. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Who was Henry VIII's last wife? Now, you see that your question is fundamentally flawed because actually the majority of Henry VIII's marriages ended in annulment rather than uh, divorce or execution. Um, so actually he only had about two wives, legally speaking. Okay, yeah, well, the, we, the last wife... The last wife that he had. <laughs> well, so we begin with Catherine of Aragon, of course, for who, for, to whom he was married uh, for longer than actually the rest of these spouses combined. Uh, then we move on, of course, to Anne Boleyn. Ah. I could go through them all, but I believe it's Catherine Parr. That is correct. That is a correct Obviously. answer. Oh. Do you not but understand? Not only, not only do I have a deep understanding of Henry VIII's wives as a whole, but actually a rather insightful um, degree of knowledge into the legalese around the, di uh, the dissolution of those marriages. Fair enough. Cool. Uh, we'll that, we'll save to get that you one back for another on podcast. About, yeah. So I think, you're back <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> frankly, that's a pod in itself. I think you should start up your own pod and you can just call it like, this is Tarquin Time. Tarquin Time. Oh, there you go. You and Clementine could do your there own you pod. There you go. Uh, but don't, because we've got the whole podcasting thing uh, nailed down. I wouldn't want to steal your, your tens of listeners. <laughs> oh, the cheek of it. Okay, so what is the name of the... Uh, well, sorry, what is the official name given to Big Ben? It's the Queen Elizabeth Tower. I will give that to you. It is the Elizabeth you, Tower. You'll give uh -huh. it to me because it's entirely correct. Well, it's it's Elizabeth Tower. It's not the Queen Elizabeth Tower. Oh, let's not split hairs, boy. That's fine. So, uh, Darcy, how many points does he have thus far? And why is uh, it ten? Out, out of nine, what does he have? I, mean, I can get ten, ten out of nine. We've asked you, we've asked okay. you nine questions. Tarquin, how many do you think you have? Well, I've told you, I've got ten out of nine. Well, you've actually got three. Yes, a gentleman's okay. ten. Well, that's okay, because you've now got a chance to pick up six big points here in the big bonus question. So I'm going to ask you a question now, but it's, in, it's kind of in part, so pay attention here. So I'm going to need you 
to name for me the first ever main event of the first ever Triple L show. And for bonus points, that'll get you one point. For a bonus point, can you name the winner slash outcome of the match? And for four bonus points, can you name the competitors, uh, the teams that they were on? Because at the time, everyone was split into uh, teams. The trouble I have with this is that I had yet to enter that ghastly place, uh, which is why I was much healthier then. I picked up innumerable infectious diseases from that hellhole. However, <laughs> I am actually, and I surprised myself with this, I'm not on confidence. Okay. Particularly when it comes to the teams. Right. Well, I'm going to need you to name who, who was on each team. Well, yes, obviously you're going to need them. Can't you tell I'm stalling? Oh, yeah. oh okay. Heroes, <laughs> heroes. Mm, yes, okay. Who Osprey's was... Assassins? Yes. Okay. Um... Uh, well, no, 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 actually. Ah. It, it is Ospreys, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I, okay, so I'll give you this. Um, there was one team represented by Will Ospreay, one by Greg Burridge, one by and Gary the other Banner, by Gene Money. The Gene other by Gene Money, Money which yes, it was not, I believe, it was not, I believe, the Buffet Club. It, it was the Buffet Club. Oh, good, because I was really using that to, uh, to not to waste a guess. Mm. <laughs> so that's that's the three teams. Uh, that's the yes. that's the four teams. Oh, Burridge's well, Burridge Bulldogs. It's Burridge's Bulldogs, Shiro's you... Heroes, Osprey's Brotherhood, and the Buffet Club. Uh, but oh, of course, he enjoys that, that silly video you thing. To, you need to name the people that were in the match and which team they were representing. I'm presuming that the team leaders were not in the match. Um, you you can't ask these I kind of questions. Um, <laughs> I can, and I have. No, you have to just tell us. Okay, all four of those team leaders were in the match on their own teams because to do to be on other teams would have been silly. Yeah, right. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. you think that the main event of the first Triple L show was Gary Vanderhorn, aka Shiro, versus Greg you Burridge? You can't name much luchadors. Come on, even I know that, and I've no respect Apologies. for Mexico. I'll cut. I'll cut that out. So you just think bleep it, just first... bleep that. <laughs> okay, so you think the first ever Triple L main event was Greg Burridge versus Shiro versus Will Ospreay versus Gene Money? When you put it like that, probably not. <laughs> so are you going to take a guess or are we just going to have to... Was Cassius involved? Ca okay, I'm going to just name, name some people. Uh, can I also use the gimmick names that they have subsequently used, because I would have no sure. idea what they were doing there. Sure. Although, was, was Bobby Champagne involved? Yes, he, that's one point. You have one point out of six so far for Bobby now, Champagne. Now, we've, we've already discussed emos. Or you've already discussed emos with, uh, with my dog's body. Was the future Tengu involved? In a gimmick, I, which was I will, emo. I will give name, you that though? because Ten, no, I Tengu. I don't know. Himself, it was a year before I met the dastards. 
Tengu himself was in the match. In some form, the Buffalo Soldier. Correct. Now it's tricky. Have I said Cassius? I'll, I'll say Cassius. Okay, you fail at the final hurdle. Tom Dawkins. Incorrect. <laughs> so, okay, Damn, I I'm usually just, just shout that and it gets so, me out of trouble. So here's what I'm going to do. You're going to get three out of six points for that one. Uh, for Even I will agree that's fair. However, oh, that... you've not you've not named who you think won the match, so I'll let you. I'll give you a chance to do that. I actually think Tengu might have won this. Uh, that would be incorrect. It ended in a no contest. Oh, of course, this absolute nonsense booking you people insist on. <laughs> so, just to, what kind? Just to give who final... gets sent home happy in that situation? Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Um, <laughs> but just to give you the final uh, kind of say on what that was. So the first ever Triple L main event was Bobby Champagne Jr. representing Burridge's Bulldogs versus Cameron, who went on to become the Buffalo Soldier, representing Will Ospreay's Brotherhood. Tengu representing the Buffet Club. And a man by the name of Malik representing Shiro's Heroes. Uh, the trouble is, I don't uh, remember the names of people who refused to battle rap me. Oh, ah, that's fair. That well, is fair, you know. Fair enough. So, uh, Darcy, what's his final score on the uh, on the how Lucha many, Pub quiz? How many total points were there? Uh, so, total, there were fifteen. Oh, I think I think Connor needs to insert some sad music here because you got a grand total of six points out of fifteen. Mm. If you just put one in front of that, darling, that'd be that'd be quite delightful. Before you go, uh, anything you want to plug? Any Twitters, social medias that you want to put <laughs> over to the listeners? Um, well, frankly, I have no time for social media at this point, as I believe uh, my manservant may have discussed. Um, but if you do look on your social medias, your YouTube's, uh, even the Google Mail, um, anything is Tarquin wrestler, because consistency is apparently very important in these things. If you look for Tarquin wrestler and you do not find it, I'm not on it. Um, my manservant would be remiss, um, he would think it remiss of me if I were not to say that um, his dreadful, noisy um, musical collective, Alex Chilltown, have an album on Spotify. Um, which was released earlier this year and I think is ghastly. Um, so if you do like just horrific uh, noise, then um, do just put a drill in your ears before you listen to that. What's your oh, um, wow. pigeon handler name? Um, he, he is uh, Stephen. Oh, Stevens, sorry. Any fan mail goes to Stephen Stevens. Yes, although actually the, the trouble with them being covered uh, from pictures is it does seem that that does uh, involve a lot of guano being on the uh, letters. I am assured mm. that is only because they are being carried by pigeon and that is not what people are sending me. Right. You can only oh. pray then. <laughs> there you go. If you want to get in touch with Taco and send him uh, pigeon mail. Uh, if you want to get, get in touch, touch with me, simply don't. I, will, I would prefer not to hear from you. There you go. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. 
Um, the pleasure, I'm sure, was all ours. Um, it was. I've derived uh, no pleasure whatsoever from this experience. Good day. Okay. So I think that's pretty much it. I said now, good so. day! <laughs>